you're like outside at the beach on holiday or whatever, then do apply every, I do reapply every couple of hours. But other than that, just slap it on. That's my most, um, my most relevant tip really is just get it on and find one that you like to wear every single day. I think that is the most important thing. Hi everyone, welcome to our podcast, The Beauty Beat, where we track the pulse and beat of the beauty industry from across the beautyverse, be it big and small beauty brands, beauty tech and gadgets, e-commerce and marketing, ingredients and packaging, and everything in between. I'm your host, Lisa, and with me today is Julian, also known as Commander14. Hi Julian, it's so good to have you here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am very excited. Me too. So Julian is a sunscreen educator to his almost 23,000 followers on Instagram. He is a biomathematician, statistician, and data scientist and researcher trying out sunscreens so you don't have to, as he says. Julian breaks down ingredient lists on his platform and posts resources explaining ingredients and information about how different kinds of studies are carried out. He is well known for his sunscreen reviews on which he has a whole database now. Julian, let's get started with a question I ask all my guests on this podcast. What is your favorite beauty ingredient? My favorite beauty ingredient? Um, it's probably going to have to be bimetrizinol, and I'm very biased there because sunscreen is obviously one of my uh, like main focuses of my content, but it's just like pretty much the best broad spectrum sunscreen filter, and it just breaks my heart that we don't have it in the U.S. because of the FDA, but yeah, definitely Bemetrizinol. It's my favorite. It's in my, my, all of my favorite sunscreen formulas. So that hands down. Mm, honestly, I would have been surprised if your favorite ingredient wasn't the sunscreen filter. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? So who are you? What drives you and what are your interests? Yeah. So I'm Julian. Uh, so I originally kind of came into the beauty industry sort of by accident um, because it was from my own frustration trying to figure out sunscreen and trying to find things that worked for my skin tone. Mm. Um, and this all happened when I was in grad school. So I have a degree in mathematics and I just finished my PhD in biomathematics and statistics. Mm. So happy about that. Congrats. And Thank you. So I was just, you know, trying to get my skin together. And one of the things that was consistently kind of talked about on YouTube from different dermatologists and people on the internet was, oh, you have to wear sunscreen every day. Mm -hmm. And it was a frustrating journey trying to figure out things that would work for my skin. And so I started just posting about my own journey, trying to find sunscreens. And then after that was going for a while and um, it was a really, it was really kind of like kind of starting to pick up with like, okay, people are interested in my views on sunscreen. Then I started to kind of bring in my own, you know, mathematics and statistics and research and clinical studies background into cosmetic ingredients. And then I started posting about these ingredients and about the evidence and kind of what these different claims mean and what the studies actually look like and what you can expect. So now I have this kind of perfect marriage between my sunscreen content and also using my research and education kind of background to really educate people in general. And it's just been a really 
good time, a very exciting and unexpected journey, I'll say. Um, I never expected this to get as big as it has, but I'm really um, excited about the platform that I have. Yeah. yeah, it's so interesting how your background kind of uh, is combined now with the cosmetics industry. Um, yeah. Because I did think that you had a background in cosmetics, but you don't. Yeah, so I, I work in the industry now. Yeah, exactly. Kind of starting out, I was very much kind of learning things on my own. I was, you know, uh, trying to find education from the suppliers and going through data sheets, and very much kind of like trying to make sense of everything that <laughs> of everything that I was seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely coming from a very research-heavy background, and now kind of getting more into the industry proper. But yeah, definitely starting out, I was just a frustrated consumer. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about what I believe you are most well known for now on Instagram, at least um, your sunscreen reviews. Uh, so how do you pick a product to review? It is a, a long and hard process because I have a lot of things that people recommend to me. I have a lot of things that brands send me and it really is um, thinking of, okay, can my audience benefit from this? So for the mm. most part, the things that I will choose to like make a dedicated post about are ones that are very trendy um, at, at the moment that a lot of people want to hear my thoughts about or things that I think my audience will find interesting that other people may not have heard of mm. um, or things that I think were just absolutely terrible <laughs> on my face that I think will just be a funny review. It's like, okay, this was absolutely awful on me. So I, I very rarely review products that I just think, okay, this is fine. So it's generally on one it's on one of those spectrums, either really good or really bad for me, or something that has just released that everyone is like, okay, Julian, what do you think about this product? It's like, okay, give me a minute. I got to get it and try it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what are your criteria for a product to receive like a good review? It's a fairly short list and shockingly not a lot of products have met the bill (laughs) wow yeah so for for me i i personally am picky so all of my like favorites are all going to be at least spf 50 Mm. and it's not necessary i know for a lot of people spf 30 is completely fine but for me because i have favorites that are spf 50 Mm. i don't ever see a reason to wear an spf 30 it's just not for me Exactly. And yeah, so having no white cast, no eye singing, and eye singing is obviously a very personal thing because mm. everyone's face is different and there's no real easy way to tell if someone's going to sit in your eyes or not because that mm. formulation is really going to take over everything. You can't just look at the filters and go, okay, this, this will sting my eyes. Mm. So no eye sting on me personally. Okay. Yeah. And then just like feel pleasant, mm. I suppose. And, and even with that feeling pleasant, I am aware that, you know, my skin type will not be everyone's skin type. So even things that on me are either like extremely mattifying or extremely greasy, then it's like, okay, this might not be for me. But if you have really dry skin or really oily skin, then you might enjoy that. So a relatively short list of criteria, but a, a lot of products have not really met those expectations. I can imagine. Yeah. And so without name shaming, do you want to share any bad experiences you've had with sunscreen? 
without name shaming, I think that one of it to to speak out to me. So there was one product that had like a cooling uh section in the name, and I didn't know what that meant. And as soon as I put it onto my face, I was like, oh no, this has menthol in it. And as I'm putting it on, like my eyes are tingling, my whole face is tingling. I'm just like, oh no, this sensation is absolutely wild. And it was like, it was stinging around my eyes. It was just so uncomfortable. And then it, and then it didn't dissipate for over an hour after I applied it. It was just, my face just kept tingling. It was so uncomfortable. <laughs> so. Sounds like the word. And imagine accidentally putting that on sunburned skin. Oh God. <laughs> it, it makes absolutely no sense <laughs> to me to have menthol or any of the menthol derivatives um, in a sunscreen. For me, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, yeah, no, that would be a big no for me. Oh my gosh. It was, it was absolutely awful. And then another experience that I had was a sunscreen that I I had a feeling it would be bad. I didn't know how bad it would be. So it was in a jar and it had the consistency of shea butter. Mm. And so getting it out, I had to scoop it out of the jar. It's like, okay, this is already an absolute no for me. And then putting it on, it was so heavy and greasy and it was an inorganic sunscreen. So it also had a white cast. And I'm just thinking... This is the perfect storm of everything that I don't want in a product. And it was also incredibly expensive. So it made absolutely no sense to me as to who this product was for. Yeah. Wow. That sounds wild. Yeah, it was It was not a fun time. Sorry, I'm just thinking about the fact that it was in a jar. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, sunscreens in jars to me don't make sense because you know, ideally you're meant to like reapply them. And so like when it's in a jar, you have to, okay, reach into your bag, pull out the jar, put your fingers in there. But of course you want to make sure that you like wash your hands before you put your hands in, into this jar. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's just more work than it, it ever needs to be. Yeah. It does not sound practical actually. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's absolutely not. Yeah. Um, so how about some of some exceptionally good experiences? I mean, feel free to name drop here if you want to. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Some some good experiences. Um, I think one of the brands I've had the most uh hits with is La Roche Posay, but specifically the European formulas, because the formulas in the US leave much to be desired <laughs> almost across the board. Um, I mean, so, so some of them are nice, but a lot of them are just, and maybe it's because I'm so used to the European formulas that I just try those and it's just like, oh, it's such a letdown mm. <laughs> because they have so many good products. So I was in London um, over the summer and I came back with, I mean, a duffel bag full of sunscreens <laughs> and so many of the La Roche-Posay formulas were just absolutely fantastic. Um, a lot of the the Eucerin formulas are also fantastic. Um, so those are some of my favorite European formulas. And then also a lot of East Asian sunscreens as well as so lots of the Korean and Japanese sunscreens because I think their view on sun protection is totally different yeah. there because you know wearing sunscreen daily for them is just a part of life. And the formulas are a lot more elegant in general than you'll find in the US or Europe where it's they're a little bit heavier kind of on average 
but in those East Asian countries, you have a lot of those very lightweight, very alcohol-heavy formulations where you're meant to put it on, it feels like nothing on the face, and it just feels very comfortable. So a, a lot of those are like just absolutely fantastic just as to how it feels on the skin and how it looks on the skin. Um, and then for like my heavy duty protection, I have a lot of Australian favorites, which um, have to have, you know, their standards for sunscreens are pretty much higher than anywhere else. Um, and a lot of those formulas are, and you're getting a really, like a really high amount of protection because obviously skin cancer rates in Australia are higher than anywhere else in the world. And so those are, tend to be a lot of my favorite, like beach sunscreens or those like, yeah, I'm going to be out all day kind of things, those kind of really heavy water resistant, um, but still elegant formulations. So yeah, I, I have a lot of favorites from around the world. A lot of my favorites are not based in the US. Oh, that's such a shame. I didn't even yeah. realize that the differences between countries or um, areas was so big in terms of formulations. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting because... Like it, it makes sense when you think about the culture, because I mean, when you're thinking about like Europe, like you're pretty much, okay, you wear sunscreen when you go on holiday and that's essentially it. So the formulas aren't going to be as like daily wear, um, daily wear elegant as it is in somewhere like in Korea or Japan, where it's meant to be a very daily lightweight situation. But yeah, there's a lot of variety. So I'm just going to assume that by now you are like a master in applying sunscreen. So do you have any tips for applying for our listeners? Tips for applying. Um, so personally, I weigh all of my sunscreens, which I know is more than most people are going to do. But for the most part, for my face, specifically for like face, ears and neck, applying about a half a teaspoon of a sunscreen is probably going to be good for most people, for your face, for your ears, and also for your neck. And that can feel a little bit heavy uh, the first time that you do it. And you don't need to measure it every single time. So if you kind of put on the half a teaspoon, put it on, see how it feels and see how much it is. And then, okay, this is how much I need to be using every single time. And, and then for a lot of people applying it in like, uh, two or more layers can help it not feel as heavy because obviously if you have a really heavy sunscreen and you put that all on at one time and you don't give enough time for all those volatile ingredients to kind of evaporate out so it's like okay this feels pleasant if you do it in several layers and allow everything to evaporate out it's like okay this is not as greasy and heavy <laughs> as it would be normally but really yeah, but really just applying enough is my only recommendation. If you have to do it in five layers, if you just slap it all on, like that is my main thing. And even with reapplying throughout the day, it's obviously a high expectation because, you know, people are working. There's just lots of other things going on. So if you can get on that first layer, you're already setting yourself up for success. And if you're like outside at the beach on holiday or whatever, then do apply every, do reapply every couple of hours. But other than that, just slap it on. That's my most, um, my most relevant tip really is just get it on and find one that you like to wear every single day. I think that is the most important thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I, I think it's good to keep educating people on proper use of sunscreen. It's so important. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so moving on, I'd like to dive into claims. And with that, I'm obviously talking about misleading claims as well. <laughs> um, so when it comes to sunscreen claims, what are some of the claims you find that are used a lot? 
Hello, oh, gosh. Uh, how how long do we have? I could be here all day. Yeah, so, so many things. I mean, on the very surface level, kind of the completely sheer, no white cast are some of my most frustrating. And then in the marketing materials, it'll be someone who's wearing, you know, the most tiniest teardrop amount and rubbing it in and going, wow, it's totally transparent. And then I go and put it on. It's like, oh, I look like a ghost. This is absolutely heinous. And like, that is frustrating to me, but it's not as frustrating as some of the more kind of misleading sort of, oh, you know, all these, you know, chemical sunscreens can cause cancer. So you need to be using a mineral sunscreen. The kind of just fear mongering claims in general, even the things about reef safe and a lot of those claims that aren't substantiated at all. And just trying to fearmonger people into, you know, wearing this product that's not cosmetically elegant, even though one that is more cosmetically elegant is completely fine for them, or just making people afraid of sunscreen overall. It's just a very frustrating to me. I get comments a lot about, oh, can you review um, some reef safe sunscreens? And it's like, well, reef safe is not a claim that is substantiated at all because it is just, okay, does it have these ingredients that have been shown in these very isolated and not realistic studies to bleach coral? And she's like, oh, no, it doesn't. Therefore, it's reef safe. But at the same time, a lot of the um, the filters that have been shown to cause that bleaching do also include zinc oxide, which is a mineral filter, but it's also that filter that's always seen as the pinnacle of all sunscreen filters as like, oh, it's completely safe. It doesn't absorb in, in the bloodstream, all these things, but it also has been found in these studies, these very isolated studies to bleach coral, you know, when you use at a very high concentration in, in a tank. So it's just a frustrating thing to try and, you know, educate people and say, no, just find a sunscreen that you like, put it on every day. It's not that deep because trying to kind of combat misinformation is always going to be harder than putting out misinformation because, yeah, because trying to educate kind of using a very technical background is a lot harder than just kind of pulling things out of the air and saying, oh yeah, this is bad because I said so. And that's it. So yeah, just trying to fight back against like sunscreen misinformation in general um, and just trying to say, oh, this is harmful or, you know, this is going to, you know, give you cancer or anything like that is probably the most frustrating part about just the sunscreen marketing um, moment right now. It's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, exactly. Especially the fear mongering. That's just like, yeah. <laughs> So frustrating. Yeah, yeah I, I pulled out all my sunscreen bottles. I've got six now and I was looking at them and one of them has like a reef safe claim. Uh, yeah, but it doesn't even explain why. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because it is a term that means nothing because any sunscreen can just slap that on. And there's no regulatory guidance on, okay, what does that have to mean? And for, for me... I mean, so in, in the U.S., there are certain filters that are banned in the state of Hawaii. And so there are a lot of brands that don't use those filters because they want to sell in Hawaii. And like, that is fine. Just say, okay, just don't include the filters. And it's totally fine. But when they try and say, oh, it's safe for coral reefs and yada, yada, and have all the fish and the coral in the bottle, it's like, okay, like you, you just want to sell it in Hawaii and that is fine. <laughs> but you don't have to have this completely unsubstantiated claim 
on the bottle. Yeah. And that must be part of marketing then as well. Yeah. Because it does sound good. Reef safe. That does sound good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that in, in general now, because clean has taken such a hold on the industry right now, everyone wants to know that, oh, their purchase is going to benefit the environment because they they offset the carbon cost by planting a tree or we're, you know, making sure that it's safe for the environment and safe for the coral reefs and things like that. And people want that kind of virtuous feeling when they're buying a product. But when it comes from a claim that is not able to be substantiated or isn't actually benefiting the environment, then it's like, okay, so you're just putting on this kind of smoke screen of like environmentalism or sustainability or whatever, but without actually substantiating that, oh, okay, this product does the thing that it says. Because in, in a perfect world, you would put that sunscreen into, you know, at a, a simulated coral reef, put that in there for some X amount of time on somebody's body and then see, oh, okay, the coral didn't bleach. Great. But those kinds of tests don't exist because it's completely just, we just slap this label on and no one has to tell us what it has to mean. Exactly. Yeah. So frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, we do have some audience questions as well, actually. Let me have a okay. look. Uh, so I've got two questions from Renea Beauty, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. So the first one is, what's one ingredient in a sunscreen you love and one you hate? One ingredient in sunscreen that I love, I mean, outside of the bimetrizinol, which is my favorite sunscreen filter, I, I really like seeing alcohol in formulations because it really helps the sunscreen not feel as heavy. And I know that a lot of, you know, companies like to say, oh, alcohol is bad and whatever, whatever. Oh, it's super drying on the skin. But it's that formulation that matters over everything. And adding in, you know, that denatured alcohol or like very volatile silicones can really help the formula just not feel as greasy and heavy and just give those really lightweight skin-like finishes that I just absolutely love. And then one ingredient that I hate, not so much that I hate, but that I'm always cautious about is silica, but seeing it high up on the ingredient list only because with a lot of products that I've seen, especially um, in US products, <clears throat> when I see a lot of silica in the product and especially if the silica is a very large particle size, then those products can leave a white cast, even if it's a fully like organic sunscreen without any of those filters that can leave a white cast. And I'll put it on, I'll think, yeah, it, it was a shock to me. And these are some of the formulas that come from, you know, these big, these big multinational brands. And I'll try out the sunscreen and it's, you know, a fully organic sunscreen. I'm like, why do I have a white cast here? None of these filters could leave a cast, but it's because of the high percentage of a high particle size, you know, silica or perlite, which are really nice mattifying agents and can help with it just, you know, feeling a little bit more silky on the skin. But on darker skin tones, then you definitely can see some of that white cast. And it comes in these like this very surprise, you know, when you're looking at it, it's like, why does this have a white cast? <laughs> I didn't expect this. So yeah, it's not something that I hate, but something that I'm always very cautious of because, I mean, I've tried plenty of sunscreens that have silica and it's a small particle size where there's not a lot of it in there and it's completely fine. But I've definitely had some formulas where I still look ghosty only because of that amount of silica. 
So yeah, not not a hate, but a, a, a frustration that I'm cautious about. I can imagine that. That's so good to know as well. <laughs> so the second question is, uh, what's one tip you would give to a formulator when they are making sunscreen? Ooh, okay. Yeah, so I mean, I, I'm now working with a formulation team um, kind of at, at my job. So I have some 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 things now. But I, I think for me, if you are, you know, developing stuff for a client, obviously it's a totally separate thing because it's their job to, you know, test it on a bunch of, di a bunch of different skin tones, of course. But I, I think it's just making sure, I mean, for me, if you're doing it for yourself and not for a client, then just, I mean, ensuring that it feels really elegant. That's something that like you actually want to wear because I think that for a lot of products that I have tried and I put them on and I'm thinking, okay, the brand approved this, so they like it. The person who made this is like, oh no, this is so greasy and heavy and just so uncomfortable. And obviously they don't have control over the things like that because if the client likes it, then that's, that's completely fine. But I think, but I think that just kind of when you're thinking about something for yourself or for your own brand, just, you know, putting on enough of that product and thinking, is this something that I would want to wear every single day? I think that is kind of the the main thing for me. And obviously sunscreen formulation is incredibly complicated and incredibly costly, which is something that I have um, found out for my job. I mean, doing the SPF testing and going through all of the many, many iterations of the formula because, oh, we have to use these different film formers. Oh, you know, we're getting the, we're getting the clumping of the zinc oxide. And there are so, there's so much that goes into that incredibly complicated formulation process. But for as much as you can, um, ensuring that not only are you getting that protection, but are also just have that cosmetic elegance when possible. I think is something that I would love to see more of. So this is just a question I'm. Uh, I wanted to ask. Like, do you think you'll ever have your own sunscreen brand? I don't know. I've been asked this several times. I I don't know. I would love to. I think that for for me though, I would be incredibly frustrated if I had to be constrained in the U.S. kind of regulatory space because we are so limited in terms of formulas because i mean the moment that you leave the like north american space you have access to all of these different filters that have such better safety profiles and such better amounts of protection and just more innovation in general when it comes to sunscreen that you get outside of the us because of our regulatory process so if i did i I think I would have to collaborate with either a European company or Australia or East Asia or something like that, because I think I would just be so frustrated <laughs> knowing that I have all these incredible technologies that I can't make use of that I know that I love so much. So I, I would have to do that if I ever went down that road of having my, my own brand. Exactly. Well, you never know. <laughs> Okay, so we are getting to the end of this episode, unfortunately, but before I let you go, um, I do have some rapid fire questions. So don't think okay. too much about the answer. Just answer as quickly as you can. Uh, you ready? All right. Okay, what sunscreen are you wearing today? Sunscreen I'm wearing today is the Suncut UV Protect Gel, East Asian Sunscreen, SPF 50+, PA 4+, 
feels beautiful. When was the last time you forgot to apply your sunscreen? <gasps> About a week ago when I woke up, I knew that I wasn't going to be going anywhere and I had an early morning meeting and then I just went the whole day, didn't put it on, but I didn't go anywhere. So it's fine. Okay. I was going to say shame <laughs> on you, but <laughs> then it's fine. Uh, do you prefer mineral or chemical sunscreen? Chemical sunscreens, hands down, bar none, no competition. Okay. If you had to choose, would you rather have white cast or sticky sunscreen? Oh, it, I'm, I'm going to say sticky. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, I guess be, because sticky, I can manage. I might look shiny, but I would make do. But the white cast, I, I, I can't go anywhere. I look crazy. <laughs> yeah. White cast is the worst. <laughs> So those were all my questions for today. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add to our conversation? No, I, I had a really great time. We went over kind of all of the things that I have my, my expertise on. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being on. So how can people support you and the work that you do? Um, definitely just, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Scamander14, that's S-C-A-M-A-N-D-E-R-1-4. You can also check out my database, Scamander14.com. Um, have a browse, have a peruse, you know, see if there's anything that you like. I have sunscreens from all around the world on there and it's expanding almost every single day. So definitely check those things out. But yeah, just, you know, come find me on the internet. I am around. Amazing. Uh, dear listeners, I will put these links in the show notes. So do make sure to check those out. Julian, thank you so much for joining me today. And thanks for this inspirational talk. And dear listeners, I guess this episode is also your friendly reminder to apply or reapply your sunscreen if you haven't already. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Julian. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beauty Beat. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions you'd like us to answer in one of our next episodes, or if you'd like to be our next guest, email us at social at Make sure to follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter at join underscore Cavallo and on LinkedIn and Facebook at join Cavallo. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, make sure to leave a review. It would mean the world to me. Have a delicious rest of your day.